Well, hi, I'm Joel McMahon, pastor at San Philip United Methodist Church. I'd like to welcome you to uh, this, our latest podcast from San Philip. Before we begin, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Oh Lord, as we bow before you at this time, we thank you for your goodness. All of us can look on uh, this week behind us now and we can see that you have had your hand upon our lives. You have blessed us, you have helped us, and uh, we know that uh, you have been with us. And we pray, oh God, that you would be with us right now as we uh, begin to uh, look at your word and look at those things that uh, you would have us here. But before we do that, there's some that are listening at this time, some that are watching at this time, that are, are troubled. They're troubled because they're facing difficulties in life, challenges. They have loved ones who are going through tough times. They have needs. And we know that our God can supply all our needs. And so, Lord, I just uh, lift up each one of these people, those who need healing, those who need financial help, those who need uh, relational help, those who need uh, emotional healing. I lift each one of them up to you, and I pray that as they reach out to you in faith, that you would touch them exactly at their point of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, the 6th chapter, the 47th through the 59th verses, beginning with verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When the Jews uh, began to argue with one another, they were saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat to us? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue 
as he taught in Capernaum. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word at this time. In Jane Smiley's novel, Horse Heaven, Buddy Crawford, a horse trainer, has a born-again experience, but things don't go according to plan, and this is his prayer, or the account of his prayer. One night, when he was praying his usual prayer, he suddenly got up from his knees and sat down on the bed. He looked out the window, up toward the full moon, in whose region he imagined Jesus to be, and he said, Okay, here's the deal. I thought I was saved. That was what was advertised. I would accept you as my personal Savior, and there we were. And you know, I felt it too. I felt saved in everything. I was happy, but I find out all the time that I've got to keep getting saved. Am I saved? Am I not saved? What do I do now? Did I do the wrong thing? Should I be remorseful or just go on and try to do better? Are you talking to me? Are you not talking to me? Am I good? Am I a sinner? Still a sinner? You know what? I'm tired and I'm only 58 years old. My father's 86 and he's still alive. And his father died at 93. That's 30 years of this. I'm exhausted at the thought. I can't do it. And he did something only a loser would do. He burst into tears. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever felt like Buddy Crawford, listen closely at this time because this message is for you. Now, how many of you have ever looked adoringly at a child and said something like, you're so sweet, I could just eat you all up. And then after saying that, how many of you then discovered that all of a sudden, that child was scared half to death. That's kind of what's happening in this passage. You see, you spoke metaphorically to the child, and that little child took what you said very literally, and it scared the bejabbers out of them. Now, Jesus is speaking to adults here, and he is drawing uh, on this metaphor of eating his body and drinking his blood, and they don't even try to understand. He makes it clear what he meant in this passage, if you're really willing to uh, listen and to try to understand. Um, you know, uh, let me talk about something else for just a minute. I like to cook. I like to eat, and I like to cook. And so uh, I've started watching a video series by Jacques Pepin, who's a tremendous uh, French chef, and I just love these simple meals that he shows you how to prepare very quickly. And so the other day I was watching, and he took a pork tenderloin, 
a small pork tenderloin. He cut it into fourths, kind of mashed it down a bit, and then he uh, just uh, he he grilled it uh, on the stovetop, and then he chopped up some onions and threw in there with it, and then he took uh, two of these pieces of tenderloin that he called steak at that point. He took them out. And there's the, here's the weird thing, the first weird thing. He After he sautéed the onions for a while, then he poured V8 juice in there. And I thought, what? Who cooks with V8 juice? And I just didn't, I just couldn't understand this. It's just, I thought that's just wrong. But then he went on, and after he, uh, deglaze the pan with and, and cook this down a bit. He poured that on top of these tenderloin steaks, he was calling them. And then he put a little more oil in the pan and he threw some corn in the... He, no, he threw some mushrooms in the pan. And then he threw some corn in the pan and he sautéed the corn and the mushrooms together. I'd never heard of having mushrooms and corn together. Threw a little chives in there, tossed it around... And then he put that on either side as a garnish and as a side for these tenderloins. Well, I'm always willing to try something once, but I had my misgivings about this. But we happened to have some uh, pork chops, thick pork chops left over. They're about the same size as these, quote, steaks he was making, he, he did. So I did the same thing with them for our lunch the other day. And they were fantastic. I mean, I never knew corn and mushrooms could, I never knew that the blend of V8 juice and onion on this, uh, on this stuff would be so good. I nearly missed out on something wonderful. I'm so glad I tried it. Now you see, my preconceptions about V8 juice and cooking were misconceptions. My preconceptions about what ingredients can go together nearly kept me from experiencing a really enjoyable culinary experience. Now, on a much more significant level, we see in the gospel account how people's preconceptions about the Messiah can keep them from fully experiencing a relationship with Jesus. John's gospel account in particular records how even those who are closest to Jesus often let their preconceived ideas get in the way of a fresh encounter with the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. During our uh, Jesus Unfiltered series, we're looking at the fact that many of us take our preconceptions about the Bible and about Jesus and we miss out on what we really need to hear. Now this morning we have come to what may very well be the hardest of all these sayings. In fact, after Jesus spoke these words, the people who heard them responded like this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And it goes on and it tells us that many of the disciples just went home. They quit following him after that. 
So exactly what had Jesus said to elicit such a response? Go ahead and open your Bibles to John 6, uh, since we're uh, going to be looking at a lot of this chapter in order to be able to understand what Jesus meant when he spoke the words that we find in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Before we address what Jesus means by these words, I want to take a moment to explain what he did not mean because I think that is equally important for us today because this is where some of the filters come in. There are some that believe that Jesus was speaking here about the Lord's Supper, and they use these words to support the doctrine known as transubstantiation. According to that doctrine, the bread and wine used in the observance of the Lord's Supper literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus, so that those who take those elements literally eat the body and drink the, bl the blood of Jesus. Now, there's several reasons why it's clear Jesus is not referring to what we call the Lord's Supper of Communion here. Although the Jews observed the Passover, the new meaning that Jesus gave to that meal the night before he died was not yet in place. Jesus is speaking here primarily to unbelievers who, as we will see this uh, at this time, he is calling to become his disciples by believing in him. The Lord's Supper, as Paul explains uh, clearly in 1 Corinthians 11, is only for those who are already Jesus' disciples. Now, as we're going to see at this time, the eating and drinking that Jesus speaks of here is for the purpose of receiving eternal life. The Lord's Supper is for those who have already received eternal life. The Lord's Supper does not produce the results that Jesus speaks of here. If Jesus' words here speak of the Lord's Supper, then he would be teaching that participating in a ritual, the Lord's Supper, results in salvation and eternal life. That would contradict the clear teaching of the rest of Scripture that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. And it would also, as we will see, contradict Jesus' own words right here in John 6. As one commentator put it very well, John 6 is not about the Lord's Supper. Rather, the Lord's Supper is about what is described in John 6. It's always important to consider the context in order to understand what Jesus meant by any words that he says, and especially these words right now. So let me explain the overall context before we look at some specific passages here in John 6 that will help us to understand what Jesus meant. The Jewish feast of the Passover was coming soon, and Jesus had great crowds following him because he'd seen miracles, or they had seen the miracles that he was doing. So Jesus went up on a mountain along the shore of Galilee, and he began to teach. And after he was done teaching, he took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed the entire crowd. 
the people were so impressed that they were ready to come and make him king because that was their preconceived idea of what the Messiah should be. But Jesus, knowing what they intended to do and knowing that he was not the kind of Messiah the Father had said, that this wasn't the kind of Messiah the Father sent him to be, retreated to be by himself. And so after Jesus walked across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, that night the crowds followed Jesus to the synagogue where and there where Jesus uh, began to teach. After Jesus claims that he is the bread of life, the people want to see Jesus do some miracles to prove that he is who he claims to be, and they recount how God had miraculously prepared manna to, and given it to their ancestors in the will, provided it for their ancestors in the wilderness. When Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life who has come to give life uh, to the world, the Jews grumbled. In general, the crowds were looking for a Messiah who conformed to their idea of who they wanted him to be. Some were merely looking for a Messiah who was going to do miracles that would satisfy their desires. Now Jesus addressed those people in verse 26 when he called them out for following him, not because of the signs he did that identified him as the Son of God who was worthy of their allegiance, but because of what they could get from him. Some were looking for a political Messiah who would come and free them from the oppressive rule of the Romans and usher in a, well, usher in a time of prosperity for the Jews. Some viewed the Messiah as simply someone who could just be added into their present life without the need to make any kind of significant changes to their own lives. But with these words, Jesus completely destroyed all those preconceptions about the Messiah and called them to a radically different way of life. You see, they wanted Jesus to give them bread. He wanted to give them himself. They wanted blessings. He wanted them to be free to live a whole new way. They wanted Jesus to be a nice part of their lives. He wanted to be their life. With these words, Jesus called the crowds and he calls us to abandon our preconceptions, our filters, to give up Christianity on our own terms and to embrace the person of Jesus so that he can save us from those blinding preconceptions that prevent us from experiencing true fellowship with him. He's calling the crowds and he's calling us right now not to settle for a shadow of who he is, but to embrace the radical nature of who he really is and what he has done for us and the radically transformed life that accompanies that embrace. <coughs> so what exactly does it mean to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? Fortunately, 
We don't have to guess at it because Jesus gives us the answer right here in chapter 6. First of all, to eat Jesus' flesh and to drink his blood means to believe in Jesus. Look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus spoke some similar words that help us to understand what he means here in 654. In verse uh, 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now notice the common phrases that Jesus uses in both verses. Both verses are about what it takes to receive eternal life so that Jesus will raise that person up on the last day. And the phrase, the last day, is a reference to the second coming of Jesus when our bodies will be raised up and transformed in the new uh, physical resurrection bodies that we're going to receive. That is the ultimate culmination of what it means to have eternal life. Jesus tells the crowds here how they can personally obtain that kind of eternal life. In verse 654, he says that we do that by feeding on his flesh and drinking his blood. He had already explained this metaphorical language clear, early, clear, early, clearly earlier uh, with the teaching that eternal life is obtained by looking on the Son and believing Him. But the metaphor that Jesus uses here when He talks about eating His flesh and drinking His blood is important because it tells us something more about the kind of belief that is required. To eat Jesus' flesh and to drink his blood means to believe in Jesus in a very special way. It means to believe in Jesus by personally appropriating his sacrificial death, by personally bringing it in and making it ours, making his death for sin, his death for our sin, for our forgiveness, so that we can have eternal life. When I drink uh, a beverage or eat food, I move beyond merely having some intellectual knowledge of that food and drink, don't I? I actually physically appropriate it and take it into my body. It becomes a part of me. By using the flesh and blood metaphor, Jesus was making the point that the kind of belief that he talked about earlier in verse 40 implied and well, it involved much more than simple intellectual consent to a bunch of facts. It meant actually relying upon and trusting in his death on the cross alone as the only hope for us for eternal life. And the only way that we can personally receive it is by personally 
appropriating it and personally receiving it. Here's an example of what this means. Back in the 1800s, a French tightrope walker named Blondin came to America and he walked across Niagara Falls. And then he did it blindfolded. And then he pushed a wheelbarrow back and forth again. And the promoter who had arranged this event for a huge amount of money had told Blondin when he invited him that he really didn't think he could do it. And so after he had pushed the wheelbarrow uh, across and back again, he spoke to the promoter who was standing nearby, and he asked, Now, do you believe I can do it? And the promoter said, Yes, I've actually watched you do some marvelous things today. Then Blondin said, Now, do you believe I can push a man across the falls of this wheelbarrow? And the promoter said, Of course you can. Then Blondin said, okay, get in. Now you see, whenever and if he would get in the wheelbarrow, that would be demonstrating his faith. Personally appropriating what Jesus did on the cross for you is like that. You can't save yourself, but you can believe that Jesus can and you can receive the salvation he is offering you. It's an act of trusting, believing faith. It's just like getting in that wheelbarrow. You have to put it all in his hands and trust and believe that it's going to happen as you relinquish even control of it into his hands. What Jesus is saying to those Jews and to us is that the only way a person can come to God is by personally accepting and appropriating deeply Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, believing, having true trusting faith that he really did that for you. Now that was a tremendous stumbling block to those Jews because the idea of a dead, blood-spattered Messiah went against everything uh, they thought they knew about the Messiah. And frankly, in many ways, that idea is no less offensive in uh, our culture today to many people. But as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, this is the only way our sins could be forgiven. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Before we leave this point, let's go back to verse 53 one more time. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, the form of the verbs eat and drink in this verse indicate that this is a single, decisive, past action. In other words, in order to receive the life Jesus is speaking of here, there's a need to make a decision to believe in Jesus the way we have been discussing, by personally appropriating his sacrificial death. This is not a decision that keeps needing to be made over and over again, although we'll see in just a moment that decision does impact our lives every day.
Now, to eat Jesus' flesh and to drink his blood means to, yes, believe in Jesus. And it means to believe in Jesus and in faith personally appropriate his sacrificial death. But it means to do that by continually partaking of his life. Now, this is the part that the Buddy Crawfords that are listening need to note. Although it may not be quite as apparent in our English translations, there is a change in adverb, or I'm sorry, in verb tenses between verses 53 and 54. We saw in verse 53, Jesus spoke of a one-time decision to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. Now, Look in verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now here, Jesus is using present tense verbs which indicate continuing action. We could literally translate this verse like this. Whoever keeps on feeding on my flesh and keeps on drinking my blood, continues to have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Personally appropriating what Jesus did on the cross for you is a one-time event. It's a tremendous act of faith that has results throughout all eternity. At that moment, you are saved. You are born again and you begin a new life in him, but that is just the beginning. From that moment on, you continually draw your new life, your eternal life from him. Your eternal life has truly begun, but now you move on living your life in him and by him. Those present tense uh, verses are really significant here for a number of reasons. First of all, the present tense of the verb to have makes it clear that eternal life has a present as well as a future aspect. As we have often said before, eternal life is not just a quantity of life. It is also a quality of life, which means it is something to be experienced in the here and now. The present tense of the verbs feed and drink indicate that whatever Jesus means to communicate with this metaphor, the action to be performed is something that needs to be done on a continual basis. When we put all this together, the implications for our everyday life are pretty clear. If we want to be able to experience eternal life right here, right now, it requires us to continually feed on Jesus. Jesus goes on to further explain what this ought to look like in our everyday lives in verses 55 to 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me. So the overall picture here is that, uh, well, it's, it's one of an intimate love relationship in which I continually feed on Jesus 
by constantly partaking of him in every area of my life. When I eat food, it literally becomes a part of me. When I partake of Jesus in a spiritual sense, he becomes a part of me. And the more I do that, the more I become less and less like me and more and more like him. Obviously, the most important way to continually partake of Jesus is by trying to really understand what he has told us already. But if we just read and comprehend it, it's still not life to us. Life comes from his words as we believe them and we put them into practice by faith, trusting in him in our everyday lives. If you want to experience eternal life in its fullness right now, you need to make Jesus the central part of every area of your life. You need to think about him constantly. You need to continually give him access to every area of your life so that he can shine his light there and reveal sin. And then you must confess that sin and with his help, move it or remove it from your life. That's the only way you can ever become more like him each day. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood means to believe in Jesus to personally appropriate his sacrificial death by continually partaking of his life. How do you do that? By continually, every day, giving your life to him. Every day, you give as much of yourself as you know to as much of him as you understand. As you do that, worshiping him with your whole being, trusting in him to have the best life for you to live. He will continually give himself to you and you will know his presence. You'll know his power. You'll know his comfort. You'll know his joy. You'll know his peace. And as that happens, you will be feeding on him and he will be sustaining and empowering you. Now, my preconceptions about cooking with V8 juice nearly kept me from enjoying some really good food. But even if I had never tried it, my life wouldn't have been harmed irreparably, would it? But if our preconceptions about Jesus keep us from believing in him, from personally appropriating his sacrificial death and from continually protecting or partaking of his life, we will experience both current and long-term very negative consequences. So let's make sure we heed his words and feed on his flesh and drink his blood. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now some of you, as you were hearing this, you realized, I have never really personally appropriated what Jesus did for me on the cross. I have given mental assent, but I keep on trying it to do myself, and I keep feeling unforgiven. Well, you have to just do like Blondine invited that guy to do. You need to just trust in Jesus so much 
that you're willing to trust in him alone for your salvation. It's just like standing in a chair talking about it instead of just sitting in the chair and showing that you trust the chair. And so I encourage you right now to just accept the fact that there was a place on Jesus' cross just for your sins. He knew you were going to mess up, and he's already gone to the cross and pray, paid for them for you. And I want to invite you to pray with me right now and receive that forgiveness. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, as I bow before you at this time, I want that salvation that you offer. And I understand now I can't earn it. I can't deserve it on my own, but you've already made it ready for me. Forgive me for not having received it for more, received it before. Help me, O oh Lord, to just open my heart now and in faith take a scary step and just say, Lord, I receive what you did on the cross as a full and sufficient sacrifice for all of my sins. And I receive that forgiveness now, and I thank you for it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for making a way when I couldn't make a way. I receive it now. I trust you. And Lord, I trust you so much. I want to give my life for you. I don't want to continue following the world. I want to follow you. And so I open my heart to you. I give my life to you. Come into my life, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide me. Direct me. I receive the new life that you give me right now in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for those people that just prayed this prayer right now, that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon them as you said you would. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's been so good being with you today, and I'll see you again next week.